But today we're going to start a series called Flipping Houses. How many of y'all watch the, all those different shows, right? You got a million of them. You got Flip or Flop, Property Brothers, Fixer Upper. There's a seemingly endless supply of house flipping shows. And there's something amazing about seeing an old, dilapidated home that looks like it should be demolished turn into the nicest home on the block. And the best part is that big reveal. They hold it back. They don't show you everything while they're redoing these houses. And then all of a sudden you get to walk through. The whole time the contractor and the owner are working so hard, but they find problem after problem that eats into their budget then you finally get to see that end result. And everything was worth it. Flipping houses is a big and risky proposition. And uh, Tori and I have owned four houses in our time as a married couple. And our first house was a dump. How many of you are with us there, right? It's just what you could do. It's what you could afford. And uh, we got a first-time homebuyer tax credit. And uh, we... Uh, used it to, to be able to put carpet and paint, but there was a basement that used to be finished, and now it was just scary. Always kind of worried that, you know, there was people down there or something like that. Uh, then we, we found a rotten floor in the basement, which is always fun, uh, you know, that you could put your foot through and maybe fall, uh, no, in the bathroom, no, I'm sorry, that would fall into the basement. Uh, but praise God, we had a guy in our church that would help us with that, and he, he helped replace that. We had no money and I have no discernible skills to fix anything. Uh, the one time I did try and fix something, I tried to fix a pipe, and what ended up happening is water was pouring between the drywall and the brick, and it was just, uh, just a constant flow of water, and it just ended up being a whole problem. We had bought this house at what we thought was the end of the 2008 recession, but it wasn't. And uh, we ended up moving and sitting on that house for two years as landlords that were not charging enough because we didn't know what we were doing. Uh, but since then, we learned our lesson. No more fixer-uppers for us. Now we just buy houses that need paint and a little style. And the couple times we've sold houses since then, we've been able to make a little bit off of it. So uh, we've been blessed in that department. But flipping houses can be risky. And it's a scary thing to do. And it's important to watch out for what you invest in. We're going to be talking about the book of Haggai. And Haggai is one of the smaller books of the Bible. It's also the third from the last of the Old Testament, right there at the middle, when you've got all the things that happen in the Old Testament, and you've got the New Testament that starts off with Jesus. And we, last week, and, and those weeks prior, we got an introduction to King David in our last series. And we see with that uh, time period there, we see the glory days of Israel, King David's reign, and then you've got King Solomon, and Israel was booming economically and winning battles, and peace was reigning. But then things went kind of sideways, and the people of Israel start rejecting God and worshiping fake and lifeless idols. And they wanted to do what the countries around them had done. And for hundreds of years, God warned Israel that they needed to repent and they needed to turn around or Babylon was going to come and wipe them out. Well, God's warnings were ignored and eventually Babylon did come and conquer all of Israel and destroyed the city and flattened the house of God, which would have been Solomon's temple. 
And then 10 to 20,000 Hebrew people were deported to Babylon to live in exile as immigrants and foreigners and outsiders. So in the next four weeks, we're going to read this entire two-chapter book of the Bible in the book of Haggai. And if you want to go ahead and turn there, you can. If you want to find it in your notes uh, on the CBC app as well, all of those will be there as well as on the screen. But this two-chapter book of the Bible, third from the last book in the Old Testament, takes place in the years following the Babylonian exile of the Jews. See, soon the Babylonian Empire fell, and the Persians became the dominant power, and they ruled over the area. So they took over ruling over the people of Israel after Babylon. But the Persians allowed the Jews to return to their homeland of Jerusalem. And this group of Jews was led by the high priest named Joshua and a leader named Zerubbabel, who was a descendant of King David. So surely the hopes were high and people were enthusiastic. They imagined a bright future ahead of traveling back from exile to their home. And they're all excited, these 10 to 20,000 people get to go back after these 70 years of being in another country and having no home. But the Jews got back to the city of Jerusalem and they found the city and the walls around the city and the land uh, 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 are there just decimated and the temple of God in ruins. And that was, again, that was Solomon's temple, which was large and it was beautiful and it was immaculate and it stood for 400 years. But they go to work. And God had commanded that they would uh, just build that city back up. See, when they saw all this, and they saw what needed to be done, and the place had been neglected for all this time, their, their mood was bad. But God commanded them to rebuild the temple in order to give the people a place to come and worship God. They were even given all the resources that they needed to uh, have by these Persians who were helpful at this time. So they began with the foundation of the house of God. But then the work came to a halt, and they lose steam. They started with the foundation, but then they stopped. So that's where Haggai comes on the scene as God's spokesman. And this book recounts God's message to his people who had returned from exile, this answer to prayer. But then they got stuck in the work of God. God had told them to rebuild the temple, but they built a foundation and they left it there for years and years. And people had a problem and Haggai is warning them that their priorities are all wrong. So we'll be there in Haggai chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the second year of Darius the king. In the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shetel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Here's the word of God that came to Haggai. It says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, These people say that the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. But then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, and said this, It is a time for yourselves to dwell in your is it a time for yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while the house of the Lord lies in ruins 
Haggai was told by God to warn the people of Israel to get their priorities right. The time was far past to have rebuilt the temple. They should have already been done. But the people disagreed. And they said, no, it's not time yet. And we're going to get to it, right? We'll get there eventually, but not yet. I know we have a lot of married people in the room. Does that ever happen to you where your wife calls out and asks you, you know, kindly to take out the trash and you graciously and lovingly say yes? But then 30 seconds go by and your wife says, why isn't the trash taken out? Right? Because there's an unspoken word that should be understood. It's can you take out the trash now? Right? Y'all know what I mean? Now, me neither. That never happens in our house. Right? That's not me. I'm not going to talk about that. But can you do it now? And, and Haggai makes it clear that their time and their talents and their treasure were being used up on themselves while the house of God was still in ruins, only a foundation. And Haggai is saying, he tells them that you've got, you're living in paneled houses. You're putting up shiplap and farm sinks and bless this mess signs everywhere in the house. While the house of God is still in ruins with just a foundation. God's house walls aren't even started yet. And their priorities were showing when you looked at their houses compared to God's house. I brought these uh, out. We've got the little wooden you know, figure of the church. And then uh, this is the representation of uh, our houses. Is this what your house looks like? This is a Waldemar down the street. <laughs> Y'all all live in these mansions, right? But that's what they were doing. They had put their house, they made their house look amazing and their house look beautiful while the house of God was still in ruins. I'm going to put these here and we're going to see how long this lasts before they fall over. Hey, look at there. Oh, that's not too bad. But they had... They were working on their houses. They were investing in their stuff while God's walls were not yet built. They were commanded to build the temple. And instead, they choose to focus on their comfort and their desires. And as a consequence, God removed the blessing from his people. And they were wondering why they were struggling so much. And God's saying, hey, I'm trying to get your attention. We have a covenant. We have a promise. We made it a long time ago where you obey and you worship and you follow me and I protect you and I help you. And God says, you're not holding up your side of the deal. They were investing in the wrong house and they needed to flip their priorities and put God's house first. And they were putting their resources towards the wrong house. And they neglected God's house and left it abandoned. Now the temple represents so much more than a building. This isn't really a, a, a message about how walls need to be painted or floors mopped. No, the temple represents worship and, almighty, uh, and communion with the almighty God. It's a relationship. It's a, a, a place where they come and they would be together and they would lift up God's name. And they weren't investing in that. They weren't investing in their relationship with the God that made them. Verse 5 says this. It says, Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. That means think about it. God says, You have sown much and harvested little. 
You eat, but you never have enough. How many of you feel that way, right? <laughs> you drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. God says, hey, pay attention. Look at your life. Look where you're investing your time and your resources. These things aren't filling you, and you are never satisfied. And God's telling them you're doing all that you can to satisfy yourself, but nothing is working. And they're living using a bag with holes in it as a piggy bank. And it's never enough. And they're always struggling. And the way that they're living isn't working. The people of God had decided to leave God's house as rubble while they pursued other things. And they may have said with their mouth that they were God followers and that they cared about worship and the relationship with God. But their lives and how they dedicated their resources said something different. Contentment comes from God alone, and you will not find it anywhere else. See, they were happy to be God-adjacent, but not God-centered. They were okay with being nearish to God, right? That's what the song said, right, back in the day. Nearish my God to thee. But not one with his will and his purpose. They were okay with being kind of halfway near God, but not close right up and centered their life on his will and his purpose. And God goes on in verse 7. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Think about it. Think about your life. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it. And then I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, it blew away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have uh, withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, and on the grain and the new wine and on the oil, and on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast and all their labors. God calls for them to remedy their problems immediately. And God is telling them, he is allowing them to struggle. Why? To get their attention. And God will not let you find long-term satisfaction in anything else except for him. Because everything else is flimsy and fake and fleeting. Hey, look, that longing in your heart for purpose and meaning is straight from God. When you look at your life and you feel like that there's missing something, and you feel like you're living your life as a bag with holes in it, and the things that you're investing in aren't bringing any long-lasting satisfaction, that is because you are meant to only be satisfied with the one that provides the living water that can quench your thirst. In him, we move and live and have our being. Augustine said, Lord, our hearts are restless until we find rest in you. 
And if you're here this morning and your heart is restless, that's because you're not resting. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That doesn't mean you're going to be rich. That doesn't mean you're going to be famous. It means you will find lasting fulfillment in what he brings. Psalms 107.9 says, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. God had brought these people of Israel back to their houses and their home. But they became apathetic and they became selfish and they put their temporary comfort over the worship of their God. They were repeating the failures of their forefathers that caused them to be taken into exile in the first place. And Haggai is here as a prophet from God to call them to the right priorities. This is their wake-up call. And he asks them to show their repentance by their actions. Verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, who was the kind of the governor of the area, the, the, the descendant of David, the son of Shetel, and Joshua, who was the high priest, and with all the remnant of the people, they obeyed the voice of the Lord and the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent them. And the people feared the Lord. And then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. And this is the message that came back. God said to do something, to obey him, to come back to him. And they obeyed. And God says this, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shetel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Zerubbabel and Joshua listened to Haggai, and they began to convince the people to work on the house of God. And God was pleased, and God promised to be with them, and he said, I am with you. And next week we'll see what happens when they actually get to work on this construction progress. Uh, project. See, the, the prophet Haggai challenged us to ask this question, where are my resources going? To build myself a temporary kingdom on this earth or to build God's eternal kingdom? Are you giving the first pick of your time and your schedule and your resources and your calendar or just what is left over? If there's anything left over. See, today your sports knowledge may be robust, but your knowledge of God is in rubble. And your 401k may make you feel secure, but your walk with Christ is neglected and shaky. And you may travel the world with your children, but never walk them through how to love people like Jesus did. And, that, and how he loves them and feel how he feels about them. And you can advance up the corporate ladder, but neglect the eternal part of who you are. There will be no lasting satisfaction when you order your life that way. Our lives should be God-centered, not just God-adjacent. 
Our, our houses shouldn't just have a dusty family Bible on the shelf and uh, praying hands on the wall, but our lives should be centered in the love and communion with our Creator. So which house am I putting my resources towards? God's house or my house? Now, once again, the temple represents much more than just a building. This isn't a message about how the carpets need replaced or the windows needs cleaned. No, don't get stuck on the shallow uh, application here. The temple represented worship and communion with the God of the universe. Are you investing in that? Parents, your kids are watching you. Friends, your neighbors are watching you. Daughter, your parents are watching you. And you can put God first on your social media bio, but people will really know what is first. What priority does worshiping God get on a Tuesday morning or on a Thursday night? How does worshiping and living in communion with God fit into your life every day? You have more access today than any other people in all of history to Bible teaching. To, to, there have been times throughout history that people didn't even have access to portions of Scripture. And on your phone you have access to a thousand apps that could help you worship God better. You have access to books and to messages and to reminders that would uh, lead you into daily prayer and worship with God. But which of our houses is first? Pastor Phil, I just don't have time. Well, then your schedule is in order right. I just don't have the bandwidth to be able to spend time with God. Then there is something wrong. You need to flip those houses. You need to be centered on God, not just adjacent or near-ish to God. When was the last time the word of God spoke to your heart while you were alone? When was the last time that you really poured over scripture and you called out to God in prayer and you worshipped him in private with yourself? Without being spoon-fed and growing up into the maturity that God has for your spiritual walk. When was the last time you really worshipped in the intimacy of just you and God? Are you offering God your table scraps and, and hoping he will be happy? We've been given the great commission to make disciples, and we've been given a mission to share the gospel and to build God's house and to spend time with him and to love him and to serve him and to share him and to love him and to love other people. And we can't be okay with being nearish to God. Today, we need to decide to work towards being one with his will and one with his purpose. And to invest in God's house, not our own. All of this is going to pass away. And the things that you worry about and the things that you concern yourself with, how much of it will last into eternity? Invest in your 
relationship with God and not just in success or popularity or material things. Because one of those things will satisfy and the other will leave you empty and frustrated. We all have times where we need to reorder our priorities. Today, right now, this is your wake-up call to flip those houses. Every head bowed and eyes closed. We invite Chris to come and play softly as we head into a time of meditation and prayer. Maybe you're here today and you're not sure that you have a relationship with God. And you're open to it. It's not that you're against it. You believe in God. You're not sure that you have a personal relationship with him. See, each of us is born with a problem, and that problem is called sin. Sin is anything we think or say or do that breaks God's law. We've all lied and cheated and stolen and said hurtful things to people. We've been bitter and had hate in our heart. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And ever since that happened, way back at the beginning of time, at the garden where man chose sin, God gave us a a choice to choose him or to choose our sin. And over and over again, we've chosen ourselves and our way and sin and death, wars and disease and, and all of it has flooded the earth and it's broken. Romans 5.8 says that God commended his love towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, even though we still had a sin problem, Christ died for us. There was always a plan way back in the beginning that Jesus would be born. The Messiah would come. And they waited all throughout the Old Testament and they believed forward that that Messiah would come one day to patch up their relationship between them and God and and solve their sin problem. And 2,000 years ago, God in the flesh was born of a virgin. He walked this earth for 33 years and he lived a perfect and a holy life. He taught and he did miracles and he proved who he was. He fulfilled prophecy and then he laid down his life on a cross. It was always the plan. Why? Because the Lamb of God was going to take away the sins of the world. And he became sin, who knew no sin, that we might become the sons of God. And that happened 2,000 years ago. At that time, he just had a small group of followers. And that message of the gospel has spread to every country, the billions of followers of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus changes things. And if you've not yet put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the only way for you to get to God, you can do that right now. It's not a magic prayer or a pledge of allegiance or something like that. It is a genuine decision in your heart to put all your eggs in the Jesus basket. Not my works, not anything that I've done, Not anything my parents have done, but Jesus and Jesus alone. 
That's the gospel. Jesus in my place. I deserve punishment. I deserve the consequences of my sin. But Jesus paid it all. You can call out to him with something like this today. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I know because of my sin that I deserve hell. God, forgive me. I'm turning from my sin. And I'm turning to you. I put my faith in what you did on the cross to save me. that's you today, you made that choice once and for all. It's not something you have to do over and over again. When he saves us, he gives us eternal life. When we put our faith and trust in him alone. We become a child of God. If you made that choice today for the first time, or maybe for the first time you really understood it, I'd love for you to be able to write that down on your connection card. I chose Jesus. Give us away an email address or something to be able to contact you. Because one of our pastors would love to reach out to you and to talk to you about this most amazing decision that you could ever make. Become a follower of Jesus. Heavenly Father, as we head into our time of communion, I pray that you would be honored and we would put you first. Put everything else outside of our minds right now. I pray that we would put all our thoughts and all our energy into communion with you right now and worship of you.